ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Two Average Brown Bros podcast. I'm your host, Bershank. And I'm your host, Andres. And today it's a brand new Monday. It's July 11, 2022. Andres, what's happening on this brand new Monday? Well, I survived my first five-day week last week. <laughs> it was weird when it was Friday, and I was like, why am I working? It feels weird. Uh, <laughs> But got through it, which was great. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, today was super hot in Montreal. Like even right at the, like, it got up to twenty nine degrees or something. Pretty hot day. Uh, but can't, yeah, it's it's summer. How are you, Rishan? How are things going up in Ottawa? Pretty good. Yeah, it was very very hot. It was a good weekend. Um, first full week back as well in Ottawa working uh, enjoying the hot weather kind of lonely again because you know not see it's the first week I was by myself in a long long time but gotta do that once in a while I guess <laughs> yes it's part of that yeah but on otherwise you know not nothing too exciting going on right now uh, just work um, chill make dinner you know and then just enjoy the nice summer like you said absolutely i mean it's been a nice summer out east cannot complain so rishang what did you learn this week so this week i learned a little bit about sinjo abi i'm sure you've heard by now a lot of people probably have heard um he was murdered or assassinated by a person in japan and he was all and for people that don't know he was a former Prime Minister of Japan. Mm-hmm. And I read into his life a little bit. Then I also read into the life of like Japanese Prime Minister. And, you know, Japanese Prime Ministers are, are always a constant, like they always have people after them. I mean, any political leader really does, but like quite a lot of Japanese politicians and especially Prime Ministers have been assassinated. You know, we always think of Japan as a good, nice place to go or visit or even live, right? But of course, Japan, like any other country in this world, has lots of issues. And I haven't read too much into the, you know, the killer's profile. And maybe that's my next thing to do. But it's pretty interesting because uh, he was giving a campaign speech in Nara ahead of the elections, which is, I think it, at the time of this recording, it's already happened, I believe. Um, I have, I didn't, I forgot to look into that. But yeah, so the attacker was a former Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force Sailor. So pretty interesting that, you know, he's part of that Japanese um, Self-Defense Force, I guess. Not too sure what that totally means. I think it's just, a, as if I remember correctly, it's just a Japanese Navy. Um, so clearly he was unhappy about something. And, you know, I think reading into it, Shinzo was also very right-wing not like extremist obviously you know like we have here sometimes but he was a more of a right wing um that side of the political spectrum so obviously he probably did have lots of you know haters as we say in the industry Mm -hmm. but then yeah so it was pretty interesting to see some and i saw that video of it happening too it's kind of weird because you know if you don't want to listen to this part, just skip a little bit, 10, 20 seconds ahead. But so the first, like he, the guy made his own gun and he shot the first round, I guess. It was a battery powered gun, I think, if I remember correctly. 
he shot it and there's just a big like cloud of smoke everywhere and people are just confused right they're yeah. just looking around like what happened and then i guess he got another round off and he that's the one that killed the former prime minister and even then people were just really confused as to what just happened <laughs> so i remember looking at the video and everyone in the audience was like what what obviously you know his I don't think they have tight security, but I'm sure they have a couple, you know, people, personnel on his team. They rushed him and he was pretty much, you know, he, I think, I believe they went to, the, took him to the hospital, but he was dead, Brown's dead right away. So it was pretty interesting to watch that happen in like almost, not real time, because I saw it on the news 12, 13 hours later, but it was like the video of that was pretty interesting and kind of weird. <laughs> is and like I said, people are just confused as to what happened, and then just reading into Japanese politics a little bit more, getting to that. So that's what I learned this past week. How about you, Andres? What did you learn this week? Well, that's pretty interesting, and I know I was I was a little bit shocked when I read about it, but I guess it is what it is, um, and it's sad, uh, like in a certain way. Um, but yeah, you know, good old Japan and their politics. And yeah, they're also being confronted with like that right, like extreme right wing ideology into nationalism. And I know from reading a little bit, uh, some Japanese uh, people, they want to go back to what they call the golden age. I don't remember if that's, I'm pretty sure. I, I think it's after the Meiji Restoration, if I remember correctly, when they saw Japan as like a supreme power, which is... Uh, before World War II. So some people want to go back to what it was considered the Great Japan. So maybe that's something to look into. Maybe the reason why. Who knows? Yep, yep. That's, a, that's a very good thing. And maybe for future podcast episodes, we'll have to look into Japanese politics a little bit deeper. For sure. So in terms of what I learned, I did a little bit more of a... Was, I stayed a little bit more local and read a little bit more into the Rogers outage because... In case you didn't know, uh, if you're listening to us from any other part that is outside of Canada, uh, Rogers, which is a big telecom here, uh, they went out. Their network was out for hours, days. (laughs) In a time of the recording, there's still certain outages. And it was so bad that people could not use Interact, aka we could not pay with debit cards. Everything had to be cash or credit, uh, and certain credit cards, not all credit cards. And it impacted uh, so badly that at the same time, there's hospitals that use Rogers as their telecom provider. So emergency service could not be accessed. People who used Rogers as their cell phone carrier could not use uh, could not use uh, her cell phone for while the outage was going on. So yeah, it was pretty terrible, pretty bad. So I look into it, look a little bit of a dive into what telecom looked into in Canada and the big monopolies that we have. And even though at times it presents as like, oh, we have a lot of different providers, it's actually bigger telecom companies buying the smaller ones, but still keeping keeping the small ones as like independent and I'm making quotation signs because they're not, they're part of the bigger network now. Um, And then talk to my dad a little bit about it because he's a telecom engineer. Uh, Yeah, he, um, uh, and he used to work in the Canadian telecom industry at some point. So yeah, um, he said that that is shocking that that had to happen. And it's bad that most of the country relied on that network. So yeah, 
Yeah, it kind of goes back. It kind of goes back to our topic last week. How there's you know Canadian. There's so many monopolies almost like you know the big three: Rogers, Telus, and Bell. And most of the people you know nowadays there's you know Virgin, all the other ones, Kudo, Fido. But even then, Rogers is definitely one of the bigger ones. And so many people are reliant on it. When they go down, literally most of the country shut down. I remember even airports couldn't let like CBSA officers couldn't allow people through the border because Rogers was down. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad, and like the fact that a lot of, you know, federal federal agencies depend on it, uh, that's pretty bad as well. So. Yep, exactly. So absolutely, definitely something to watch in the next week or so. I remember seeing something about giving people compensation, but honestly, I don't, I don't have any hope for them to do that because first of all, there's too many people on Rogers, and come on, it's a freaking corporation. They're gonna give you a ten dollar voucher. <laughs> Yeah, like honestly, they're gonna be like mm, proportionally to a month how much of the outage will have impacted you. So yeah, I don't see um, see it as a big compensation that they will get. So if anything, the bigger fight will probably will be the government and the healthcare system. I think they might be able to put a bigger fight in there just to have a better competition. But for regular client, like it's like citizen level clients. Yeah, suspect like, oh, we're gonna make a 20% discount on your next bill or something like that. Yep, exactly. Well, Andreas, you know, with that, I want to shift to today's topic. And, you know, we had amazing conversation the last couple of weeks about Canada Day, things that we like about Canada, things that we don't like Canada. On um, Now, continuing with, you know, that sense of nationalism, patriotic, patriotic, whatever you want to call it. But this time I want to, take it back to our roots and you know we've lived in canada for some time now um obviously for me i've been outside of nepal for longer than you've been out of mexico but at the same time you know it'll be good to hear both of our perspective on how we connect ourselves how we connect with our roots you know of our upbringings our uh, cultures you know traditions what we do out here in canada what we do back when we go back to visit and things like that absolutely let's dive into it So Andres, I guess one of the biggest things, what what changed about yourself when you first moved out of Mexico over time? Like, what was the thing that you lost pretty much right away? Uh, what did I lose right away? Uh, right away, I lost the food. <laughs> I think in terms of culture and all of that, that's that's the first thing that goes is, uh, for me. Uh, it was culture and language, uh, even though I still was able to speak Spanish with some of my friends that I made at the very beginning. Um, it was just that loss of familiarity in a certain way, because food in a certain way was different. Um, and language, having to accustom myself to a completely different language, uh, even though I've, like, have learned English for several years and spoken it and everything, it was very different to make that transition to completely forgo, forgo those parts. Um, so, well, yeah, like, well, for me, absolutely, one of the first things that I lost when I moved out of Nepal was the language, of course, right? I was only six years old when I left Nepal. So, yeah, at that time, I could speak Nepali, I could write Nepali, I could read Nepali. But over time, when you don't practice those often, you often lose those. So speaking Nepali, I can still do it to this day. Obviously, it has got a lot worse because I don't practice it every day. 
or I, you know, I have never written anything in Nepali or read in Nepali in such a long time. So speaking, definitely I can do, but reading and writing much, much harder. And, you know, it's, I still talk to my parents in Nepali, my relatives in Nepali, but for the most part, you know, most of my cousins these days, they know Nepali, um, they know English, right? So we can't even in English. But then, like, if you are, if I were to live in Nepal, I would be speaking it every day, whether it's for school or for a job, things like that. So obviously, you know, language was one of the first things I really lost. And it kind of sucks, right? Because, like, we always, when you're out here in Canada, they teach you French or Spanish and you're considered to be bilingual. But then once you, you know, once you realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm actually trilingual because I knew this language back home. So it's kind of weird to think about all that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did just, I know, even like on I and um, sometimes like, I mean, I'm still, I, I can still do all the things in Spanish, but definitely I've lost part of my, my vocabulary because there's times in which I'm having a conversation and then I will completely lose track of the word that I'm looking for. And it's very, very annoying. And I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I feel so weak in a way because I'm just like, this is my mother tongue. I should be able to like completely speak. Uh, so yeah, that's very, yeah. Losing part of the language in a certain way. It's not great. And I guess now, like after living in Canada for almost, uh, almost nine years, it's, um, the fact that now I'm no for a fact I think in English, my brain operates in English. So there's times at home when we go to restaurants and let's just say uh, because they want to be trendy, they put the name of some of their dishes in English. Uh, I know like and it has happened a couple of times. I will read the menu item to the server and it's like, oh, I will want this read the menu item in English and then continue to ask whatever, or if I want it like in a specific way, I will continue to say it in, or like the next thing is my beverage, I'll say it in English and then I'll have my family or my friends look at me and be like, what, are you serious? And I was like, I'm so sorry. And then just say what I said in English, in Spanish. But it's so embarrassing that my brain is so accustomed to English now that if I were to speak out loud, something in English, my brain will de facto go into English mode. Whereas, uh, like, to go to Spanish, now I have to make up more of an effort to actually focus on Spanish, which is, which in a certain way is sad to be losing. Yep, exactly. And like I said, right, when you come to Canada or North America, they love having bilingual, especially, I'm sure you know even more, like Montreal is a little bit Harder, but you know, by bilingualism in Montreal, Quebec, even Ottawa, right? Such sought out for. But then, so like, kind of a backstory. But I had an interview a couple months ago, and they asked me if I was bilingual, and I'm like, well, I took. I I was thinking this. I didn't say this, but I'm like, well, I took French in high school, so I know a little bit. So I know that. But and then even Nepali, I know Nepali frequently. So what I actually said to the interviewers was. I am bilingual, but not the one you're looking for because they're obviously looking for English and French speaking. And, you know, obviously it makes sense when you're in Ottawa because they do like that bilingualism, but I'm like, wait a minute, that makes me a trilingual, right? So I know three languages. 
and that's kind of cool but when you over the time when you lose it it's kind of it's, it, it does suck yeah it's yeah there's those things that you know it's sad but you know you know sometimes it's for a greater good but <laughs> absolutely so shank um in terms of uh, like in terms of that kind of like i know you mentioned kind of like talking with family and everything but do you do anything else in order to kind of like keep t in touch with your nepali um not really and then maybe you know that's my bad but to be quite honest it's kind of hard to do anything nepali because really like I, yeah i could go to my parents and be like hey teach me how to write nepali or read nepali but they don't have time for that either you know so i mean another option that really helps me speak nepali better is obviously talking to my relatives back home but with writing and reading it's kind of really hard because no one really out here speaks or like no one sorry no one really reads or write nepali right so like obviously when i meet other nepalis we'll talk in nepali but reading and writing it's not really used here and it's kind of irrelevant outside of nepal so truthfully i really don't how about you andres um well lately like lately i mean within the past two years i've been kind of like listening a little bit more to like spanish music and with friends that uh yeah with like friends i know spanish uh speaking with them in spanish uh because our de facto also for us is going to speak english just because uh there's people around us so we want everyone to feel included and blah 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 but then at some point it's just like i'll rather speak in spanish so uh we speak in spanish some of the times and then yeah listening listening to music in spanish and then just watching tv also some shows in spanish um just in a certain way to also keep up with the comedy you know because comedy is very different in every language so uh just to keep up with that and in a certain way keep my wit in, in spanish uh but yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, the the more the more often that I can use it, the better, because then I will not struggle to when I have to when I go back home and I'm full time speaking in Spanish. So. Yeah, exactly, and it's, it's it is very hard, and you know, maybe I I guess we could always look at using Duolingo or one of those like those apps to help us, you know, not forget it because those are our roots and stuff. But mm -hmm. I guess on the flip side. What are some things that you still do, you know, whether it's your traditions or cultures that you've, you know, that you grew up with that you still do in Canada here? Um, so some of the things I still do is uh, Independence Day. Sometimes I celebrate it out big, but I always make sure that on, the, on September 14 and 15, in a certain way, even something little is like having Mexican food, um, talking to my family just because it's independent day so they have the day off so i know i can talk to them but doing something like meaningful that will connect me to my roots in saskatoon of course it's a small community so many things did not happen um but then now in montreal didn't do it last year because i was fresh fresh start to the school year still figuring myself out but probably this year what i'll do because it's a bigger mexican community here uh just keep posted um watching what's going to happen during those days because probably there's going to be a celebration and we do have the consulate here as well so looking into that also 
it's been quite a few years that day of the dead uh that's one of my favorite mexican holidays so what i do is i put up my altar for my death uh relatives so uh and i take like i actually take my time to do it like i will properly prepare the food like i will even go like some of the the food that i prepare is uh some food is things that i will eat on a regular basis so that's fine but there's other dishes that i will rather not like i don't eat on a frequent basis like i have to make an effort so for example red anything with red meat i am not to, like i don't eat a lot of red meat so whenever i go out and seek it out it's like a special thing so for day of the dead i have to go and like get some of those ingredients get some of the drinks that maybe i don't have because i don't drink that um so doing a lot of those things and i play mexican music on the background uh music that my grandparents and other relatives would have enjoyed and yeah just putting up my altar and what i do while i do that is thinking of them thinking of my family thinking of my roots and thinking of the significance of what this altar means um so i really dedicate my entire time to that and yeah just basically i put a lot of effort into what my altar means and uh in a certain way to connect uh keep connected to it and then yeah just keeping up with trying to make Mexican food at home the best that you can. Um, that's a way that I try to keep uh, keep connected um, into some of the roots um, that I was that I was raised in. Same with Easter uh, uh, and with Lent. Um, just a couple of things we used to do as a family uh, in terms of food, in terms of um, how we observe land, things that we do throughout those, uh, those are things that I also try to try to continue doing as much as I can, just because uh, in a certain way, they're meaningful to me. How would you appreciate? How do you, what are some Nepali traditions that you, that you still observe while living in Canada? Absolutely. And I think when, when you were talking, I was agreeing on all your points because it's mostly like, you know, the holidays and the festivals that you really stick to because those were part of your childhood and you want to make sure you don't lose that over the years like especially when you have a family and all so definitely like you know we've talked about it in the past Dasei, har holy you know all these fun things obviously you can't do it like the way you did it back in nepal but you still try to do as much as you can and you know as make it fun as you can without obviously making like trying to stick with what you know and also modernize it almost right yeah yeah, try to fuse some elements of still keeping it true to what the roots are, but making it do and modernize it with what's available. Exactly. And I think that's the best part because, you know, one of the things I always tell my friends and family is our generation is like the mixing of cultures happening, right? We're trying to keep our old parents' traditions alive as well as bringing the new wave of people into the traditions as well. So it's like, trying to have fun by yourselves, but also with your friends out in Canada that aren't even, you know, from Mexico or Nepal that that want to learn new cultures and new traditions. Yeah, and I think that's like a privilege that we have. And it really depends. I guess that really depends on the person. So um, in a certain way, Brishang, um, what other things do you do in order to remind yourself of your roots? And then I'll ask another question, but first answer that. Um, for the most part, like, you know, like 
either talk to my parents or my grandparents or even family members back in Nepal, just about Nepal, you know, life in Nepal. Uh, another thing is try to go back to Nepal. Obviously, that's very expensive. Going to Nepal is really expensive. But, you know, since I moved out of Nepal, I've been there two, three times, I think, now. So every time I go back, try to take in as much cultures as I can, as much as traditions as I can, and just wearing clothes, right? Like, obviously, here we wear shorts pants you know a shirt whatever but back in nepal some of the cool fancy dresses it's always nice to dress up in those in your house even or if you have a festival to go to and like i think you mentioned one earlier just listen to the music watching shows you know those are always good ways to you know not just remember your roots but also um, learn new things that maybe you might miss when you're younger absolutely i think all of those are, things are very, very crucial. How about you, Andres? What do you, what do you do? Um, well, actually, what I do, if anything, I think coming into Canada after, I would say, the first two months, I realized in a certain way, um, it's not saying like, oh, I'm the ambassador of Mexican culture, but I took it a little bit upon myself to, uh, in a certain way, represent the country I'm from. Um, and showcase what we are so um i took it upon like i find it nice to teach my friends about our culture uh about our traditions about our food what different things mean um so i will partake into that and if anything i think i've grown closer to bit into mexican history and tradition and culture while i've been abroad just because i don't have it on the daily like i have to seek it out so and I have to learn, like, I need to have my facts straight because I am telling other people what they mean. Um, so doing a lot more research about it, looking into it, and sometimes keeping up with what's happening back home because in a certain way, I, I, I have the advantage of disconnecting from many bad things that happen, but at the same time, still getting a little bit of like the general idea of what's happening back home um, in order to uh, relief someone asks how are things going um like during COVID for example some friends will be like so how are things in Mexico and I was like don't know which I could tell you and then after that I started researching and talking to family and friends a little bit more to actually know what the situation was back in Mexico because I really in a certain way disconnected from that and of course I was more worried about my situation over here because I was living it uh, but at the same time, I was like, oh, maybe I should also check back home because they're also living through it and might be a different situation than what we're living here. Uh, so, yeah, trying to do as much reading that I can and teaching and just embracing it. And yeah, like in a certain way, still looking for things on way to join. And that's like think one of the advantages of being in a bigger city is uh, being able to connect with a little bit more people from from your country so that's i think that's my next step uh in montreal is uh connecting with more of the mexican uh of the mexican crew in a certain way absolutely and when you're talking also another thing i really like doing is dancing right so whether it's nepali dancing or just the brown culture of dances i love dancing so that's another thing that i do to keep my cultures alive that's amazing so sharing the idea of dancing, of keeping up with traditions and all of that, is it 
in a way, something that has been forced upon you or something that you seek out to do? I'm so glad you asked that because, see, for this, it's something that I did a learning about by myself because when I was younger, I almost, I didn't shun my culture, but it's like, you know, I'm out in Canada. I want to learn about Canadian cultures. I want to learn about other people's cultures. And I kind of ignored my culture because especially growing, growing up in Saskatchewan, I didn't have many Nepali friends or people that I could turn to and, you know, really be part of my culture. It's like some of the other places in the U.S. or Canada where, you know, you have in Nepali student associations in university and things like that. So growing up, I kind of like just ignored it, did my own thing. But as I grew older, I'm like, wait a minute, why am I ignoring that? That's who I am. You know, that's where I'm from. That's where my parents are from. You know, we're we're Nepali for a reason. And as I got older and older, I kind of embraced it even more and more. And now I think I've got the good balance of, you know, I do love my culture and my history. And sometimes it's not always perfect, but that's where we come in and try to make the new generation of Nepali culture. I love to hear that. I love kind of like that, that, um, that journey of going to try to adapt to a new culture to adapting uh, the new, the new life into your like roots. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's part of my self-reflection, I guess you can call it that. <laughs> <laughs> that should be part of your book if you choose to write one. <laughs> True. You're giving me ideas, Andres. You're giving me good ideas. Hey, we need a side hustle nowadays. <laughs> that, is, that is true. <laughs> How about you, Andres? Uh, for me, I mean, growing up in Mexico is not something that you really have to embrace your culture because you're immersed in it all the time. But there's ways that people do shun uh, the culture that they will be like, oh, no, we don't do that anymore um, or things like that. Or people trying to just be. Uh, in a certain way, like, uh, and I saw it, like, growing up, it was, like, uh, people will be, like, I'm still are a little bit more into Halloween in a certain way, uh, but lately, uh, there's this sense, uh, like, our generation has been, I don't know why, but we're putting a little bit more forward, like, a Day of the Dead, which literally happens after Halloween, so putting a little bit more of the emphasis of this is our culture, we cannot lose it, to Halloween, which, for us, is just, like, a day to like for kids to go asking for candy and put on costumes and for adults and teenagers uh, to go to parties in costumes. Like Halloween for us doesn't have any significance. It's just whatever. But it started becoming a little bit more of like what things people would do, but then day of the death will go unnoticed. So I don't know how it happened or anything, but it started to have a little bit more focus on to actually respecting and actually embracing uh, what Day of the Dead was. And even though Halloween is still a big thing, uh, a lot of people my generation, my age, uh, we are putting altars up. Like I have many friends that put their altars up. By like they don't, like some of them live by themselves and do it and some of them still live with their parents, but even tell, asking their parents to like, hey, want to help with this? So I think that's very beautiful. But we, within Canada, I think, um, I never shied away of being Mexican. Uh, and I think part of that was just because as an international student, I felt like, uh, and I didn't know that many, like at least in undergrad, I didn't know how many other Mexicans we were at like at USASC. So it, it, it kind of like in a way felt like if I don't know anyone else from Mexico, uh, kind of like falls upon me <laughs> to uh, anything Mexico related. Uh, I need to have, in a certain way, I felt the pressure to have the answers. So 
for me, I never shied away. And uh, little by little, I found the richness in our culture, uh, how varied and diverse it is. So I started feeling very, very proud of being Mexican. But I did have friends that in a certain way will shy away of where they were from. I'm not going to mention any names, even though I could, but I won't because I'm taking the high road. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but they were friends that will, in a certain way, shy away of their culture to adapt more uh, to the Canadian living, which there's nothing wrong. We all try to adapt to the best that we could. Uh, but I adapted with embracing my Mexicanness in a way, uh, whereas I had friends, well, now acquaintances, and, and some of them are people that I don't even talk to anymore, uh, that completely shied away of their culture in order to fit, uh, to fit in like the standards of Canadian living and to fit with certain people at the university, which uh, in a way it's sad to see, but at the end of the day, it's your own decision if you want to embrace your culture or not. Uh, no one is forcing you upon it. Uh, for me, I just find gratification and I, it makes me happy whenever I get to speak about Mexican culture. So I choose to continue embracing it. But it's like, it is my decision to embrace it. Uh, no one is forcing it upon me in a certain way. Yep, I, I definitely agree. You know, like growing up, obviously, my parents were like, hey, do this, do this. But they never forced anything on me. Even like, you know, we can talk about religion in a future episode, but that same goes with the religion, right? My dad's kind of religious, my mom not so much, but they don't force me to go to the, you know, mandir or temple or any pray anytime, but I choose to do it on my own, similar to, you know, cultures and traditions. So absolutely, everything, you know, that I feel like I've done, it's more of like a self-realization and growing up. Yeah, absolutely. So Rishang, this is, we're talking a little bit about our personal efforts to connect with our roots, but in terms of living in Canada, what are some of those things that you've noticed either by the community or higher level, let's say, uh, institutions or government in order for people to be able to continue uh, to continue to be still connected to their roots? I think one of the best things that, you know, in Regina and I'm sure other cities across Canada do it too. I know Edmonton does it, but was Mosaic, right? So Mosaic was this cultural, three-day cultural event where all these different countries um, come to people from the countries come together and set up a pavilion where they have food performances uh, drinks um, things that you can buy from those cultures and you had free busing to and from the pavilions and it's just a really good time and for me especially because i danced in it for four five four years and then i went around look at some of the other countries performances and like you know, like, so Regina with Mosaic, I know they, they did an amazing time, amazing job with that. And I, I think, I believe um, Saskatoon also had that. I know Edmonton had that. So I'm sure, you know, countries all across the, you know, country has all like cities across the country have done that. And as well as, as I was reading into it, remember, so a couple of weeks ago in the States, I did my own embassy tour where I went around looking at embassies. Well, it turns out, um, so DC tours or some, I believe visit DC or something like that. Some company actually does that where they set up a passport and you can go to the different embassies, learn about the cultures and stuff. Obviously not all the embassies participate, but there's a good list of 20, 30, 40 countries that did that. So it was pretty cool to see. And I guess that's also something else I learned this week. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Love to hear that. Yeah, exactly. How about you, Andres? I think uh, in terms of like 
I would say in terms of like institutions themselves, even though some like they have to be student led, so the students have to in a certain way put a case in order to have a student association put up. But the fact that uh, institutions are open on having different student associations, like it's not just like, oh, we're just going to have the International Student Association and that's it. Like, no, they open up the space for different like student associations from different world and having them be able to in a certain way, put a little bit of a budget into them. Um, not the biggest, but they, in a certain way, let them showcase what they're representing and being like a safe space from people from those specific cultures or countries. So I think at an institution level, that's nice. Uh, same in the community and everything, putting events, I think that really brings people, uh, people together. And the fact that uh, people don't shy away in a certain way, or like government institutions don't shy away of like celebrating certain things from different cultures uh, in order to embrace and to bring those people together and putting like a couple of events throughout the year to to showcase that. And um, cities, I think uh, at some point, I think cities are the ones I like when we talk about government level and community involvement, I think cities really are the ones pushing that messaging and really trying to showcase as much as they can of the different communities that they have, uh, which is amazing. And just, yeah, letting people be who they are with their culture. And I think that's fantastic. Do I believe there's more that could be done? Of course, I always believe more could be done in order to accept visible minorities uh, and different cultures into uh, the everyday day to die, day to day. But I think overall, uh there's there's efforts being done to embrace to embrace everyone's culture exactly as you're speaking the you know the student associations at universities that's one of my bigger regrets in university actually so at that time in u of s there was there was a nepali student association but most of it was done by the master students and the phd students so i kind of felt weird being in it because you know i was a undergrad but looking back, I wish I would have just joined it and kept it going for the four years I was there because, you know, hearing stories about other NSAs around U.S. and Canada, even around the world, you know, they did such fun things all the time, performances. So I wish I got involved in that. So if you're listening and you're not sure if you want to join, you know, your a student association, I say go for it. Yeah, it's a nice experience, I would say so myself. Exactly. So I think. You know that's the thing it's all about learning so now now i'm trying to get more involved in the community whether it's you know when i go to a wedding see if i can dance or just learning different things from different cultures absolutely super shank any final thoughts about connecting to your roots i think just embrace where you come from i know sometimes you can be ashamed of you know your cultures or your traditions but it doesn't have to be that way, right? You can always change the traditions. Yeah, that kind of, that's kind of counterintuitive because traditions means, you know, things that have been going on for years and years. But I don't think there's an issue with taking some of your old cultures, traditions, and embracing it to the newer modern ways of life. Because, right, a lot of things that were developed back in the way back in the, you know, stone ages almost are, aren't practical today. So obviously you have to change with the times and I don't see a problem with that, especially when it comes to, you know, treating other people equally, treating, you know, other things equally, whatever it may be. I feel like 
So just embrace it and don't be embarrassed of it. And if you are, maybe find out what, you know, what you can do to not feel embarrassed anymore or that you don't ignore it. For sure. Absolutely. I completely agree with everything you said. <laughs> Any last words for yourself, Andres? Um, thinking about it, um, I mean, as in a certain way, honestly, uh, as immigrants, we have the benefit of picking and choosing what we like about our cultures. <laughs> so just explore that. Um, if you, if there's a reason why, just take a little bit of time to self-reflect on that, I would say. I wouldn't say, like, just ditch your culture out of the window. Um, just, I would say, reflect on it. Reflect on what the culture means and what does it mean to you. And then take your own journey out of there. I'm not going to tell you to embrace it or not. I think that's everyone's personal decision. But I think a little bit of time of reflection on what your culture, your roots mean to you, and then take it from there. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's all, like you said earlier, it's all up to the person to whether they embrace it, you know, ignore it or reject it. But I think at the end of the day, as long as you have some kind of cultures and traditions to be proud of, I think you'll be all okay. Exactly. And Rishank and I, we're very proud of being brown. So we're going to continue to embrace that. I mean, there's a reason we called ourselves the two average brown bros, right? Is that why we call it that? <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? It's a mystery. Who knows? That's a mystery. That will keep a mystery. <laughs> All right. So, Brashan, as we wrap up our episode for this week, what is something that you're looking forward for the week of July 11th? The week of July 11th? I honestly don't know because the next couple of weeks, I'm not really doing much because at the end of the month, I am going on my trip. Well, I'm not going to reveal about that trip right now. I'll pick it up later. But for the next couple of weeks, nothing really. Just more trip planning. Um, work on my website a little bit. You know, just things here and there. Visit my cousins. And just enjoy the summer. How about you, Andreas? What are you doing for the next week or so? Uh, for the next week or so, what am I doing? Um, this week... Don't know, might be planning something for the weekend just to get some friends together, enjoy the nice weather. Um, but Saturdays are fireworks Saturdays. So always looking forward to the fireworks. It's very cool. Um, and maybe I'll do some more biking. I really have enjoyed biking throughout the city. So maybe during a lunch break or something, I'll go take a bike and then go for a ride. Because honestly, it's a lot of fun. I really, really enjoy it. But yeah, nothing other than fireworks and maybe a plan over the weekend. Uh, just a standard summer week in Montreal. That's amazing to hear. Love it. You gotta enjoy that summer for as long as lasts. It's kind of it's kind of scary to me because I can already tell the days are getting shorter and shorter. But you know what? We're not gonna let that. Yeah, let's not think about that. We still have a long time before winter. Exactly. So, Brasheng, where can our listeners uh, reach us out? So, like always, if you have any comments, concerns, questions, or crybaby stuff, you can reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter on the Two Average Brownbows podcast. Hit us up. Let us know about your culture. If you've rejected in the past or you've come to love it these days or vice versa or anything, if you want to talk about your culture, my culture, Andreas's culture, anything, just hit us up. Let us know. Yeah, we would like to hear from all of you about it. 
and what your thoughts are. Should everyone embrace their culture or not? And if you do, how do you do it? Uh, but other than that, thanks for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Two Hours Brambles podcast. And stay tuned for next week's episode with a brand new topic with Prashank and I giving our thoughts on it. But other than that, have an amazing week. Bye. See ya.